you have your Bible this morning and want to open up to the book of Haggai, that may be one uh, that take you a little bit of a time to find if you're not in there a lot. It's a very uh, kind of an obscure and a short book in the Old Testament, the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Uh, but that's where we're going to be this morning in our um, series, Overwhelmed Major Lessons from the Minor Prophets. How many of you are very busy at this time of year? How many of you that aren't raising your hand are lying to me right now? Uh, yeah, <laughs> a few. It's a busy time of year, right? Because it's, bu- it's always busy. Because we're always busy people. And December is no exception to that. It's a busy time of year for all of us. Because we're going to do the stuff that we always do. We're going to work. We're going to uh, take care of our responsibilities, be with family, be with friends, all of that. And then we're going to add on to that all kinds of other things. We're going to add on to that gift buying and parties and cooking and decorations and uh, all kinds of kids events. We're not going to take anything away. We're just going to add all this stuff on and, and have a peaceful, silent night of a Christmas season while we do that. Uh, and so we're all busy at this time of year. It becomes a very busy time of year. But I honestly think we like being busy. I think most people like being busy. I know this because a lot of times when I'll talk to people and say, hey, how are you? The response is often, I'm busy. And my response is often, hey, it's busy. We're busy. We like being busy. You're busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. We're like uh, Professor Hinkle from Frosty the Snowman, right? Remember him? Busy, busy, busy. (laughs) And we are. And I also know this because days when I'm not busy sometimes can be the most uh, stressful and angst-filled for me. You wake up in the morning and there's nothing on your schedule. And you're like, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? That happened to me last Saturday. It was, you know, a long weekend for many of you. Uh, uh, Last Saturday, I had a few days off, so maybe you took care of a few responsibilities. By the time Saturday came around, I really didn't uh, have any responsibilities I had to do, didn't have any meetings, didn't have any places we had to be. So I woke up that morning and thought, what am I going to do with this day? And in some ways it feels like a gift, right? But in other ways it's like, but what am I going to do with it? So I end up often doing the first thing that comes across my mind, so whatever I see. So I looked out the window, uh, most of the leaves were off the trees and still sitting on my lawn. They didn't seem to be raking themselves. Uh, and I thought, well, I guess that's what I'm going to do today. So I went outside in the morning, spent uh, many hours raking up some leaves. But while I was raking, while I was raking, here, here's what happened. I'm doing this, and I'm busy doing something, but in my mind, I'm also thinking about, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is there something else that I should have done today? I think maybe I should be changing the oil on the snowblower. Did I change the oil on the snowblower at the end of the summer? Do I even know how to change the oil on the snowblower? <laughs> Have I ever changed the oil on the snow? Right now, these things I'm thinking about. Maybe I should be getting the decorations out. Maybe I should be putting the decorations up. Maybe I should be cleaning the house, spending time with kids, spending time with my wife. Maybe I should be buying presents, sending out, buying Christmas cards, all kinds of things. Am I using my time the way that I should be? It's not a bad question. In fact, it's a good question. It's a wise question to think about because time is like money. 
in this sense that you can only spend it once. When you have a dollar and you can spend that dollar to pay your mortgage or you can spend it to get a cup of coffee, but you can't spend it to do both. And your time is like that too. You got an hour, you got a minute, you got a second, you got a moment, you get to spend it once. And the wise person would ask, am I spending my time like money? Am I spending it on the right things? When we come to the book of Haggai this morning in our series on the minor prophets, we come to a people who are very busy, and they're very busy about the work that they're doing. They have a lot going on, and they have a lot of things that they're busy about. Uh, they're busy about some of the same things we're busy about, uh, providing, uh, preserving, and protecting. I mean, you think about a lot of our time, that's what it's spent on. We're looking to provide for our needs and wants. We're looking to preserve and maintain a lot of what we have. And then we look to protect a lot of what we have in certain ways. We spend a lot of time with that. And the people in Haggai's day were kind of doing the same thing. Let me give you a two-minute kind of scene setting to let you know where they were and where we are in history in the Minor Prophets. I don't want to lose you, but it's important for you to understand exactly where this people group was. This people group is the Israelites. And the Israelites were a, a people that were chosen by God to relate to God. And through that relationship, we learn about who God is and what He does. If you think about it, you and I would know nothing about God if He didn't reveal it to us, and the only way we know about God is the way He has related and chosen to reveal to us how He has related to people. So He chose this group of people, the Israelites, and He chose them for we don't know what reason, but He just chose them because He chose them, and then He chose to relate to them and teach us about Himself in the way He related to them. And so how he relates to them in their history teaches us about himself. So in the history of the Israelites, uh, about 586 B.C., we have this event in the history of their nation that we call the exile. And the exile is a foreign nation coming in, taking over their nation, basically uh, devastating a whole, their whole city and nation and carrying off the people into exile, taking them away from Jerusalem, carrying them out into exile and them having to live in a foreign land. And so much of the history of the Israelite people is categorized whether it was before the exile, during the exile, or after the exile. It was like a critical moment these 70 years in their history. And so uh, they had this 586, the nation of Babylon, and then it became Persia, uh, took over, came in and, and, and basically uh, desecrated and devastated the whole city and carried the people off into exile. Now, the interesting thing about it is what we learn is God is always in control, and God told them that the exile was coming. In fact, he told them, I'm sending you into exile this is part of my plan for you. So if you think uh, because you follow God, everything's going to be great and always rosy and always nice, then you really you have to somehow deal with the exile and, and figure that out because God said, I am sending you into exile. 
And so maybe you wonder about that song James just led us in, that song, Though He Slay Me, I Will Praise You. Now, how can you sing a song that says, Though He Slay Me, I Will Praise You? Well, because there are some times that God will lead us into difficult places for our greater good in order to teach us and to lead us, and so we continue to praise Him by trusting Him even through difficulties, even through exile. So 586, God sends them into exile. And then about 539 B.C., uh, roughly, uh, you know, about 539 B.C., they are released. The first, uh, that's not 70 years there. I understand that. I know a little, enough math to understand that. The first group was carried off earlier. 586 is the last, like, devastation of the last group that was carried off. So the... Uh, the first group that went into exile started 70 years before 538 B.C., um, but the 586 is the date of the devastation of Jerusalem and the temple. So uh, what happens in 539 B.C. is a man comes to power called King Cyrus. Maybe that kind of jogs a little bit in your mind from world history when you were a kid or in high school. King Cyrus comes to power, and through God's sovereignty and direction, King Cyrus uh, gives an order that he says the Israelites can now return to their own nation. They can return back to Jerusalem. Uh, they can return back to their place. They're, not, they're still under the jurisdiction of Persia, but they can go back and live in the land that they were taken out of. And so that happens in 539 B.C., 538, uh, and right about 536, takes a few years, things to get mobilized and everything, about 536 B.C., the first group heads back to Jerusalem. Uh, Ezra, the book of Ezra, tells us that's about 42,000 people that head back for this first group to head back to Jerusalem. And think about what they must have found. It's been desolate for decades. Nobody's lived there. The last thing that happened is the city was destroyed by this invading force. Uh, there, there was, you know, all the... Uh, talent and everything was taken out and the land was pretty much left uh, uninhabited for decades. So you come back, there's no buildings, no streets, no temple for them to worship at. There's no houses. Uh, there's no crops to harvest, overgrown fields. There's no water, plugged up wells, all these things. And they come back. We Last week, uh, many of us maybe uh, thought about the pilgrims when they first arrived at, uh, in this country. And they had somewhat of an advantage because the Native Americans had already cultivated some land, but we hear a lot about the hardships they faced. No houses, no hotel, you know, not, they, had to, they had to fight through that winter uh, that they first did where many people died off, and here's what the Israelites face. They come in, there's no houses, so they work, and they get to work, and they busy themselves with doing the things that we would do. They busy themselves with providing for their needs, preserving, and protecting. Because the other thing when it comes to protecting is they moved into a neighborhood that already had some people that were living there. Um, and they weren't too excited about people coming back into the neighborhood. If maybe you've ever lived beside an empty lot or conservation land or something, and then all of a sudden someone comes in and starts living there, 
you may not be that excited about it. You liked having, you know, that your privacy. You liked having not, you know, not having people there. And all of a sudden, people start moving in. Well, in that day and age, it wasn't just about losing privacy or wondering what these people were going to be like. There was also the risk that if another nation sets up beside you, whether they're going to be hostile to you, whether there would be enough resources for the land to sustain you. So the neighbors were hostile to them. They didn't like them moving in. So they provided and they preserved and they protect and they worked and they worked and they worked and they did what you and I would do. But as hard as they worked, they never seemed to have enough. They would farm the land, but it wouldn't quite be enough for them all to eat. They unplugged the wells and they found water supplies, but it wouldn't quite satisfy their thirst. They made clothes, but it wouldn't keep them warm. Haggai chapter 1, verse 6 says as much. It says this, You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Does so to put them in a bag with holes. In other words, there, you're working, but you're never getting ahead. Uh, some of you know what that's like, right? You, you, you work hard maybe during a month, and maybe you put in some overtime, and you put in some extra time, and you think, this is going to be the month I'm going to get a little bit ahead. This is going to be the month I'm going to put a little money in savings. This is going to be a month I'm going to put a little money in the retirement account. This is going to be the month I'm going to put a little bit away, but then you get to the end of the month, and there's more month than there is paycheck left, and you never seem to get ahead. And that's what's going on with the Israelites. God's saying, you sow, but there's not enough. You drink, but you're thirsty. You have clothes, but they never keep you warm. And you're, it's like you're putting your money in a purse with holes in it. Never quite getting ahead. Busy, but not productive. They're working hard, and they work hard, and they continue to work hard. But the truth is, sometimes it's not that you are not working hard enough, but that you are working too hard at the wrong things. Sometimes it's not that you're not working hard enough, but that you're working too hard at the wrong things. So enter Haggai, 520 B.C. In fact, we can exactly date Haggai because of the uh, background and information he gives us about history and the calendar, we know that it is August 29th of 520 B.C. that Haggai first speaks. They've been back in Jerusalem 16 years. They've been working hard. They've built their houses, but they don't seem to be getting ahead. And so Haggai speaks to them about their situation. And in uh, chapter 1, verse 2, this is what he says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And then it goes on from there to passage I read, you've sown much and harvested little. 
God essentially says to them, the reason you're working so hard and not getting ahead is because you're climbing the ladder of success, but it's leaning against the wrong house. You have spent all this time building your own houses, and you've got your houses built right now, but you've neglected the house of the Lord. They started building a temple, but then they got absorbed with other things. They came back and they started to lay the foundation, but then they got distracted by other things, and they let it go. And 16 years later, their house is built, but God's house is neglected. And the external reality of the unbuilt temple is evidence of the internal reality of their neglect and care for God. And God says, you've been building your houses, and you keep saying it's not time to build God's house, and that's why these things are happening. They had a choice to make. Were they going to continue to work on their house or God's house? These people say it's not time. And we might say, how could they be so ignorant? I mean, why, what, what's the point? You know, why, how could they go 16 years without doing this, walking past it every day, unfinished? And yet we know how it happens, don't we? We know that there are times in our own lives when we find reasons to put off the work of the Lord, the spiritual work in our lives, in order to focus on something else. Not necessarily bad things. They're things that matter, but not the thing that matters most. So you go a day and you missed your prayer time because you were pretty busy and you missed your time reading the Bible and you, and you weren't able to get that done. And then it's another day and then it's a few days and then it's a week and then it's a couple weeks and then it's a few weeks and then you forget where you put your Bible and you forget what it was like to spend time in God's Word. And, and you find yourself spiritually neglecting that spiritual aspect of your life because of the other things in life that you've been busy about. We're busy. But the question for us to consider this morning is, are we busy about the right things? Are we busy about the right things? Because God tells them, the reason this is happening to you is because you have neglected my house. But if you would start putting your focus on my house and on the things of God, then things will change. He says as much in Haggai chapter 2, verses 18 to 19. He says, consider from this day onward, because they said, we will. We're going to do your work. We're going to build your house. And he says, consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. God says, if you will focus on the work of building my house, you will experience my blessing. That you will uh, experience my grace. For most of us, the problem is not that we're too busy. The problem is that we're busy with the wrong things, that we focus on things that matter, 
but oftentimes to the neglect of that which matters most. We're busy providing, preserving, and protecting, but we can neglect that aspect in our life, that most important spiritual aspect of our lives. There's an old song by Harry Chapin, some of you may know it, called Cats in the Cradle. Uh, for those of you who are younger and may not, let me tell you a little bit about it. The title's a play on a nursery rhyme, of course, Cats in the Cradle. The song tells the story of a dad who's always too busy to spend time with his son. Always about important things, always about things that have to be done in life, and he's too busy to spend any time with his son. Until he's older and he's not too busy. He finally has time to spend with his son. By that time, his son has grown and followed in the footsteps of his father and now has no time for his father. And so the father puts off spending time with his son because of all the important stuff he had to do. And it wasn't until it was too late that he realized spending time with his son really was the important stuff. And it's like this in our lives with God that we have so many things to be busy about, so many things that matter, and yet we might put off that thing that is most important. This theme is not only found in old folk songs. It's found in uh, cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies. How many of you watch cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies this time of year? Come on, guys. I know some of you... I'm not the only guy that likes a Christmas card. (laughs) Hallmark, Lifetime, they watching those Christmas movies. The theme of everyone, just about everyone, I've watched a lot of them, I'll admit to it, I'll confess. (laughs) They suck me in every time. Two of them last night. Um, The theme of almost every one of these movies, The Christmas Train, Christmas in Evergreen, The Christmas Card, Elf, A Christmas Carol, and Scrooge McDuck, almost everyone has this same theme of someone who is about doing things that matter and focused on something, whether it's a job or an occupation or, or some other aspect of life, that they're too busy for Christmas or too busy for relationships. And I know exactly how the movie's going to go, and I know exactly how it's going to end, and I watch them anyway. By the end of the movie, they're going to wake up And have this epiphany and revelation of what is most important in life. And this is a catchy theme. And it's a catchy uh, plot line. But it's true in our spiritual lives too. And that's actually what Haggai is saying in many ways. That you can get so focused on other important stuff in life. Preserving, protecting, providing. But you can do it. And you can miss the most important things and the most important thing in life. And I think Haggai and the Lord is saying to us, don't wait until the end of the movie to wake up. This morning, hear what the Lord is saying and commit to focusing on the most important thing in life, which is your relationship with God. But we don't take time to do it, often because we're busy. 
John Gardner was the um, Secretary of Health and Education under President Wyndon Johnson. He said this about busyness. He said, we can keep ourselves so busy, fill our lives with so many diversions, stuff our heads with so much knowledge, involve ourselves with so many people, and cover so much ground that we never have time to probe the fearful and wonderful world within. By middle life, most of us are accomplished fugitives from ourselves. Fugitives from ourselves because we never take the time to stop the busyness and examine the really important stuff in our life. And it's true. We get about the things in life and we get busy about things. And it's not about not being busy. It's about being busy about the right things. See, everything in life, I believe, what happens to you, good or bad, ought to point us to God. And so the Israelites were in this time, they were in exile, and that was supposed to point them to God. That was supposed to put them in a place where they would cry out to God for salvation. God, rescue us from this place. God, allow us to go back to our home country. And then they come out of exile, and they're allowed to go back to their home country, and that's supposed to point them to God. God, thank you for allowing us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for allowing us to come back, Lloyd, and calling out. Everything in life, I believe, is supposed to point us and teach us about God. And that was true for them, whether they were in exile or they were coming out of exile, and it's true in our life too. Because maybe you would hear this story of the Israelites and you would say, yeah, well, pastor, if, if God said that to me, then I would change my life too. If God said, you know, this is happening in your life because you are neglecting this. Well, if he did that, then, then I would change my life too. Well, I'm not Haggai. I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, and I work for a nonprofit organization. I'm not, I'm not Haggai, I can't tell you and look at you and say this happened because of that, and, and this is happening because of that. But I can't tell you this as, as we look at the Bible, I would say, let's just change those two words. What if we change the two words because of to so that? What if we change the two words because of to sow that, that this blessing has happened in your life so that you might understand how good God is and give thanks and praise to him and experience his goodness in your life, that this difficulty or challenge has come into your life so that you might understand that you can cry out and call and trust God that though he slay me, I will praise him. See, the things in our lives that matter most is God, and God often brings things in our lives so that we will praise Him. This happened, uh, Jesus kind of pointed this out in His ministry. One time, His disciples brought a man to Jesus who was born blind in John chapter 9. He bought, brought this man to Jesus, and they had a question. The question was, Jesus was this man born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? Now, the man's born blind, never seen all his life. He was, he was born this way. So Jesus, was he born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And if you look in John chapter 9, Jesus says, no, you guys, you guys are asking the wrong question. 
guy's got it all wrong. And what Jesus does is he changes a because of to a so that. He said, this man was born blind so that you might, God's goodness might be displayed in him. And then he goes on and heals him. And he goes on, and this man goes on to give this great testimony of how good God has been and because of his healing. See, I can't tell you for sure because of. Haggai had a word from the Lord for those people in that moment. This is happening because of this. But I can tell you for sure that it's a so that. That this happens in your life so that you might come to know the goodness of God, that God can be trusted, that God has your best interest at heart, that God is for you. And so we come to those places in life like the people in Haggai's day did, and we don't know why. Why is it the work hard and it's not producing? Why is it that always seem, never seem to be getting ahead so that you might find, you might turn to God and trust him and find that he is trustworthy? And maybe as you'd say, why well, is there a clearer word from God even for me? Well, how about Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33 say this. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And let's just pause there for a second. It's interesting to me that these three questions that Jesus says line up exactly with the problems that the people in Haggai's day were having. We harvest, but we don't have enough to eat. We drink, but we're still thirsty. We put clothes on, but we are never warm. These are the often things that people are concerned about. And Jesus says, don't be anxious about these things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. But Lord, we have to provide. But Lord, we have to protect. But Lord, we have to preserve. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. But Lord, we, we've got to do all this stuff. We've got to get more stuff in the barns. We've got to get more stuff in the bank account. I've got to get more stuff in my 401k. I've got to get more stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. Common sense says keep building your house. Kingdom wisdom says focus on the Lord's house and he will take care of your house. And your house is your body, your temple. Because the New Testament says you don't have to worry about building a temple, a literal physical temple, because now the Spirit of God lives within those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that your body is the temple of God's holy presence and God's holy spirit. So how are you doing at tending to your temple and your relationship with God? We're busy, but are we busy about the right things? There are two women in Scripture that kind of bring this point out very pointedly in Luke chapter 10. Jesus comes to a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. 
But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Martha, Martha, there's many things, many things that you can be anxious. There's many good things you can be about. But there's one thing that matters. Not saying don't be busy. Saying make sure your busyness about things that matter do not neglect the thing that matters most. Are you busy with the right things? One day you'll see God face to face. Will you have been busy with the right things? We are busy with things that matter and there's nothing wrong with that unless we are busy with them to the neglect of the thing that matters most. Multiple times throughout Haggai in this passage, God tells the people to consider their ways. He says it multiple times, consider your ways. And I think today God says the same thing to us. Consider your ways. You're busy, but are you busy about the right things? How do you know? How do I know if my priorities are out of whack? How do I know if I'm busy about the wrong things? So there's probably multiple ways you can try and gauge that. Uh, one way, I think, is by asking a few questions. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, gives four questions that I think are helpful uh, to gauge where our heart is. And the first question he gives is, what do you daydream about? And it gauges where your heart is. What do you spend your time? When you don't have to be thinking about something else, what do you find yourself thinking about? That kind of might tell you where your heart is. Next question, how do you spend your money? How do you spend your money? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Does my checkbook and my bank's account reflect a heart organized around the purposes of God, not who God is and his care for the things of God? Third one is what is your real daily functional savior or salvation? That one may be a little bit more difficult to grasp, but it's when things go wrong, where do you turn? When things go bad, What's your functional salvation? Well, I've got enough money in the bank account to cover it, so what's it matter? Or I've got a position that's important, so who cares? That my, becomes my functional savior. Or is it I'm saved and I fall upon the grace of God and God alone, and that's what saves me and covers me? What is your functional salvation? Kind of what you're putting your hope and your trust in. Fourth, where do you experience your most uncontrollable emotions? And kind of tell you where your heart's at, right? When you get to a place and something erupts out of you that you didn't even know was in you, and it tells you where your heart's at. When you get emotional about things that you maybe shouldn't, it tells you where your heart's at. This happened to me this, this past week. I have to confess, I was... In an unusual place, I was ordering Christmas cards. Well, I had ordered Christmas cards, and I was dealing with the fact that the order had not arrived yet. Uh, 
And so I'm on a live chat with the person from the Christmas card place. And we're chatting back and forth. And I'm feeling myself get angry because I know I'm right in this situation. And they are failing to admit that they are wrong. And I'm getting upset. And I finally, like the realization hits me. I'm ordering Christmas cards. (laughs) There's a scripture on them about Jesus. And I'm getting upset at this person who I'm live chatting with. And I thought, there's something wrong. God, what is wrong in my heart that this would happen, that I would get upset about something like this? And it's a heart check, right? It's a heart check to say, God, this isn't right. This is a person. I don't know who they are, where they are. I'm pretty sure her name wasn't really Laura. But, <laughs> but I'm live chatting with her, and, and it's a person. I think it was a person. But the, the, the idea was, it's a, it's a heart check, right? When you experience those uncontrollable emotions, you get to the place where you say, okay, maybe my heart's not in the right place here. So we have to ask ourselves that. God's not saying do not work. He's not saying don't be busy. He's saying prioritize my kingdom over your kingdom. Saying be busy, but busy yourself with what matters most. Don't focus on things that simply matter, but on things that matter most. They still were going to have to maintain their houses. God says he's going to send crops. They had to go harvest those crops. He doesn't tell them to stop being busy and stop working, but don't neglect the thing that matters most because of your busyness. And that's what he says to us too. As you come into this time of year and as I come into this time of year or any time of year and things are busy and you're busy, what we have to be careful about is that we don't get so caught up in doing things in the busyness of the time and the world that we live in that we neglect the things that matter most around us. So I'm going to ask our music ministry to return, and I'm going to ask you to just take a moment with you and God, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, and I ask you to do this just to give you some sacred space to consider the words that have been shared. Consider these words, not for the person beside you, around you, in front of you, behind you. Consider these words that have been shared for you. And ask God to search your heart. Ask God to speak to you about places in your life. Lord, are there places in my life where my priorities are not as they should be? There are places in your heart and your life where you have prioritized your kingdom, your agenda over God's. Are there places in your life where you have been searching for because of answers and God wants to give you a so that? God, why is this happening? God, why am I never getting ahead? God, why is, this, why, why is this not working out the way I want? And we keep asking, God, what is it? What is it? Because, 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 why? And God maybe wants to give you a so that you will turn to me. So that you will trust me. So that you will call out to me. So that God will be glorified. 
Father, I ask that you would speak to us today. Lord, search our hearts. Search our hearts, God, and see if there be any way in us, Lord, that is not pleasing to you. Lord, the people of Haggai's day needed Haggai the prophet to speak that word of truth into their lives from you. Lord, we need the voice of your Holy Spirit to speak to us now. Convict us. Guide us in all truth. Show us those places where we have been fooling and lying to ourselves. Lord, set our hearts and our eyes on you. Put us in a position to fully surrender to you because if we will seek your kingdom first, all these other things, the things we try and preserve, protect and provide, the the fulfillment we seek, the joy we lack, if we will seek your kingdom first, these things will be added to us. If we will take care of your agenda, you to stay.